had another week of just drama in our culture, right? And it is, it is fatiguing to all of us. I think it's especially fatiguing to uh, the folks in our culture of color. Uh, you, you'll remember if you're part of Gateway last year, uh, right after uh, George Floyd was killed, uh, we uh, talked about the need to have a conversation. And I said a few weeks after that, we're going to have a conversation together. We need to talk. If we're going to build community with one another, we've got to hear one another's stories. We've got to hear one another's pain. But I, I don't know that that conversation can happen effectively until we can get back together. I had no idea it would be this long. But I want you to know we're still working on that. We've, we've got uh, three people in our congregation who have put together a, a proposal and a very good one for how we can have this conversation and uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to have them up here and explain it to us how we're going to walk through this. But we're going to talk about this. I want to make one comment, just general comment about that, though. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we Christians look pretty naive to the culture when they're working on, I don't know, education solutions or political solutions. And we're saying, ah, it's spiritual. Well, you know, sometimes we look a little bit naive. I think it's about time for us to look at the culture and say, are you really that naive? Do you still think that the solution to our problems is found in that? Because it's not. And we've tried a little bit of everything, and that's not going to do it. The solution to our issues as a culture is spiritual. And we're the ones with that message, folks. So uh, we got to bring it. Let's pray, and then we're going to kick off today. we got a, we got a uh, word from God today, I think. So let's pray. Father, thanks so much for... Uh, joining us here today, and I really believe that's what's happened. You, you promised us, Jesus, that wherever two or three were together, you'd be there, and we have felt you this morning. So, uh, Lord, um, speak to us. Uh, we're not here by accident, and speak to us. Uh, we, we need to hear from you. We need freshness. We need your life and and you know us. You have to speak to us in ways that we can understand. So do that this morning. Break open our chests and massage your truth into our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, okay, Pete Scazzaro is a pastor and an author of several books on emotional health. And Pete is right when he insists that one of the key markers for emotional health is the ability to receive the gift of limits. This means at least three things. First of all, it means that we're not bulletproof. We have limits. Secondly, it means that we've got to recognize that those limits are by design. They are imposed on us by God. And thirdly, it means seeing those limits as a gift. Pete puts it like this. Emotionally healthy people understand the limits God has given them. They joyfully receive the one, two, seven, or ten talents God has so graciously distributed. As a result, listen to this, they are not frenzied and covetous, trying to live a life God never intended. He concludes, they are marked by contentment and joy. All right, this year, we have had the opportunity 
to learn some lessons in this regard, haven't we? And some of that learning has been good for us. And, and we will do ourselves an immeasurable disservice if we don't carry those lessons into next year. So to help us with this, I want us to ruminate this morning just a little bit for a few minutes on our limitations. And then we're going to talk about how to receive the gift of limits. Now we should begin this by recognizing that Jesus received the gift of limits. I mean, in one sense, his entire earthly life and ministry was an exercise in receiving the gift of limits. God the Son was unlimited. But when he incarnated, when he squeezed himself into human skin, that was an exercise in receiving limits. Many of you are familiar with the hymn that the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. It's a beautiful hymn. If, if you're not familiar, I want you to check this out. And if you are familiar with this hymn, I don't want you to snooze this. As we look at this, don't snooze on how this relates to the idea of limits. Think about that as we read this. Pete, bring up Philippians chapter 2, and let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. I'm going to read this italicized part, and then the rest of the hymn where he's talking about Jesus, I'm going to have you read it with me. In your relationships with one another, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So that's his setup. He's really, he's really preaching to us to be these kind of people. But now he's going to talk about Jesus. And I want you to hear this in, our, in the context of our conversation about limits. Let's read this together. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And other translations will translate that phrase, something to cling to or something to be grasped. He didn't consider his godness something to be held on to. He let go of it. Let's go on. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You may be seated. Jesus received the gift of limits. In fact, the devil's temptation of Jesus, and some of you know that story, it, it was really a direct assault on the whole idea of limits. In essence, the devil was tempting Jesus to defy the limits he had accepted and to avoid the path of suffering. Matthew lays this out for us in Matthew chapter 4. The, the account goes like this. Satan says, hey, Jesus, let's do this differently. There's, there's no sense in you having to experience discomfort. Let's, let's ignore these physical limitations and turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replied, look, people don't live on bread alone. The physical limitations lead to a higher spiritual dependence on God. That's the source of true life. Leave me alone, tempter. Second attempt, uh, Satan said, wait a minute. Let's do this differently, Jesus. You're the man. Let's go, ahead and, let's go ahead and show the world what you really are. Step outside of these limits and throw yourself off the temple. And Jesus replied, that's not God's way. The limits I've accepted allow for loving obedience from my followers and not just acquiescence. Don't test the Lord your God. A third time Satan said, let's do this differently, Jesus. Let's jump to the end of the story without all the, you know, the drama and the suffering. Bow down to me now. You can rule the world right away. And Jesus said, the point isn't ruling the world, Satan. The point is the joy of worship and the freedom of serving God. Jesus three, Satan zero. And the limits were maintained. The limits were embraced, in fact. Jesus consistently chose limits throughout his ministry. Early on, 
Jesus resisted the, the making Capernaum his center of operation. This would have made perfect sense from the standpoint of expanding, but he resisted. Ultimately, uh, he spent most of his time completely outside of city centers, effectively limiting the crowd size. Jesus resisted the call to become king. He often resisted even attention. He didn't pursue a mass following, but he gave himself faithfully to 12 people. He resisted healing everyone. He only healed the few. He resisted striking his enemies. Eventually, he submitted to death, even death on the cross. Jesus received the gift of limits. All right, with that as inspiration, let's lay out how this looks for us. Let's survey those three things we started out with. And the first one was we have limits. We have limits. We're not bulletproof. So as a way of just ruminating on this, let me just talk about some areas where we're limited. You could think of several more. But number one, it's just to remind ourselves, our abilities are limited. Our abilities are limited. Think about what that means. That means there's a limit to what you can accomplish. You can't do everything well. I would be a terrible accountant. I would be an awful engineer. I would love to write a great novel. I don't think there's ever been a great world-class novel about a pastor. I would love to write that novel. It's not going to happen. I don't have the ability. Jesus used an illustration in Matthew 25 that's pretty profound in this connection, I want you to look at just the opening, just the opening paragraph, Matthew 25, 14 through 18. Pete, give us that one if you would. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and trusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, five talents, it literally says, which is just a measure of gold. To another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, Gained five more, so also the man with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. All right, here's the thing. Ultimately, in Jesus' story, it does not go well for the man who hid his money. And, and Jesus' point is that we should, we should put to use what God has given us. We should take advantage of what God has entrusted to us. And really, we should know who our God is because our behavior grows out of our view of our God. But here's the thing. In the midst of that profound point, there's, there's something, there's an assumption in this story that we, should, we absolutely shouldn't miss. Every one of these servants had a limit to their abilities and a limit to how God uses them and what he does through them. Therefore, a limit to the responsibilities that he gives them. And not all of them had the same limit. Our abilities are limit, limited. And we do ourselves and eventually others great harm when we forget this fact. I want to speak this morning especially to those of you who are young in your careers. I know what it's like to think, oh, if I'd only done that better, or next time I'm going to be more focused, or, or next time I'm going to be more vigilant, or next time I'm going to work harder, or I wish I was better at this, I've got to get better at this, or I wish I was better at that. But despite what you've been told or what you may have told yourself, you can't accomplish everything you put your mind to simply by hard work and self-belief. You have limits. And any attempt to defy those limits is futile and counterproductive. For one thing, 
mine and your limitations means that every time you say yes, for instance, to work, you say no to exercise or to spending time with your family or friends. Now look, the Bible's full of teaching that would encourage you to work very hard and do it very well, to do your absolute best. You can even read that a little bit into that Matthew 25 story that Jesus told. But that's it. You can't do anyone else's best. And you can't do more than your best. Your abilities are limited. Secondly, our capacity to serve is limited. I want to say that especially to those of us who are good Christian types. I consider myself often one of those. Uh, remember how Jesus accepted limitations? Remember how he didn't heal everybody? This is a special word again for those of you who your heart just breaks when you hear about need and, and you want to help and you, every time you hear a need, you want to dive in and help. If I can, I'm going to read, bear with me. This is a couple pages, but I'm going to read a story that Pete uses to uh, illustrate this point in a funny way. So hang with this. Pete says this. Uh, a rab rabbi tells a story of, of a man who had given much thought to what he wanted from life after trying many things, succeeding at some, failing at others. He finally decided what he really wanted. One day the opportunity came for him to experience exactly the way of living that he dreamed about, but the opportunity would be available only for a short time. It would not wait, and it would not come again. You with me? Eager to take advantage of this open pathway, the man started his journey. With each step, he moved faster and faster. Each time he thought about his goal, his heart beat quicker, and with each vision, what lay ahead, he found renewed vigor. As he hurried along, came to a bridge that crossed through the middle of town. The bridge spanned high above a, a dangerous river. After staring across the bridge, he noticed someone coming from the opposite direction. The same stranger seemed to be coming toward him to greet him. As the stranger grew closer, the man could discern that they didn't know each other, but yet they looked amazingly similar. They were dressed alike. The only difference was that the stranger had a rope wrapped around him many times, around his waist. If it stretched out, the rope would reach a length of perhaps 30 feet. The stranger began to unwrap the rope as he, he walked, and just as the two men were about to meet, the stranger said, pardon me, uh, would you be so kind as to hold this end of the rope for me? The man agreed without a thought, reached out and took it. Thank you, said the stranger. He then added, two hands now, remember, hold tight. And at that point, the stranger jumped off the bridge. What are you trying to do? He shouted to the stranger below. Just hold on tight, said the stranger. This is ridiculous, the man thought. He, he began trying to haul the other man in, yet it was beyond his strength to bring the other back to safety. Again, he yelled over the edge, Why did you do this? Remember, said the other, uh, If you let go, I will be lost. But I cannot pull you up, the man cried. I am your responsibility, said the other. I didn't ask for it, said the man. If you let go, I am lost, said the stranger. The man began to look around for help. No one was in, within sight. He began to think about his predicament. Here he was eager for pursuing a unique opportunity, and, and now he was being sidetracked for who knows how long. Uh, maybe I can tie the rope off somewhere, he thought. He examined the bridge carefully, but there was no way he could get rid of his newfound burden, so he yelled over the edge again, What do you want? Just your help, said the man at the other end. How can I help? I can't pull you in. There's no place to tie the rope while I find someone else who can help you. Just keep hanging on, replied the dangling man. That will be enough. Fearing that his arms could not hold out much longer, he tied the rope around his waist. Why did you do this, he asked. Don't you see what you've done? What possible purpose could you have in mind? Just remember, said the other, my life is in your hands. 
And the man was perplexed. He reasoned within himself, if I let go all my life, I will know that I let this other man die. If I stay, I risk losing momentum toward the one thing I've sought after for so long. Either way, this will haunt me forever. As time went by, still no one came. The man became keenly aware that it was almost too late to resume his journey. If he didn't leave immediately, he wouldn't arrive in time. Finally, he devised a plan. Listen, he explained to the man hanging below. I think I know how to save you. He mapped out the idea the stranger could climb back up by wrapping the rope around him. Loop by loop, the rope would become shorter and shorter, but the dangling man had no interest in the idea. I don't think I can hang on much longer, warned the man on the bridge. You must try, appealed the stranger. If you fail, I die. Suddenly a new idea struck the man on the bridge. It was different and even alien to his normal way of thinking. I want you to listen carefully, he said, because I mean what I'm about to say. The dangling man indicated that he was listening. I will not accept the position of choice for your life, only for my own. I hereby give back the position of choice for your life to you. What do you mean, the other asked, afraid. I mean, simply it's up to you. You decide which way this ends. I will become the counterweight. You do the pulling. Bring yourself up. I will even tug some here and there. He unwound the rope from around his waist and braced himself to be a counterweight. He was ready to help as soon as the dangling man began to act. You cannot mean what you say, the other shrieked. You would not be so selfish. I am your responsibility. What could be so important that you would let someone die? Do not do this to me. After a long pause, the man on the bridge at last uttered slowly, I accept your choice. In voicing these words, he freed his hands and continued his journey over the bridge. Our capacity to serve is limited. Not every need constitutes call. Other people are responsible for their own story. We are called by God to help and to serve. We are called by God to help and to serve. But our capacity to serve is limited, so sometimes the right answer is, no, I can't help. Third, let's just give one more. Our time is limited. The corollary, our very life is limited. Remember that reading from Psalm 90 that Jordan just did for us? Pete, flash up the uh, set of slides from Psalm 90. Don't I have Psalm 90 in there? Is that the next slide? No. Keep going. Three through six. Yes. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or a watch in the night, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are, they are like the new grass in the morning, and the morning springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away, and we fly away. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the thing. Every day has 24 hours. Never more, never less. So if you live to be 80 years old, I did the math this week. If you live to be 80 years old, you will live about 700,000 hours. That's it. That's all we get. Now look, I know that 700,000 hours is really no different than 80 years, but I don't know why. When I did that math this week, I was kind of stunned. I mean, 700,000 is kind of a large number, but it's a very, very finite number, and hours are really short periods of time. And we only get a finite number of them. Our time is limited. 
Our lives are limited. We have limits. Second summary thing we said is our limits are by design. Our limits, our abilities are limited. Our capacity is limited. Our time is limited. Our life is limited. And these limits are by design. They are imposed on us by God. That Psalm 90 passage said, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, O mortals. You sweep people away in the dust of death. This is what God does. He imposes limits on us. This is one of the central themes of the little Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you have read that book before. We don't know who wrote it. It may have been Solomon. In fact, this book is is kind of the author's struggle against the idea of human limits. In a famous passage in chapter 3, the author of Ecclesiastes acknowledges this. There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. There are times, there are seasons, there are periods, there are limits. There's a time to be born, there's a time to die. There's a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build. There are times, there are seasons, there are limits. You know, you don't ever gain anything by spitting into the wind. Similarly, you don't gain anything ever by ignoring limits. The limits will impose themselves on you one way or the other because they're part of the design. They are unavoidable. This past year, we have learned that the entire population of planet Earth could be sidetracked by something that can't, can only be seen under the power of a microscope. We are limited, and we will not be able to live up to our true potential. We will not be able to live emotionally healthy lives unless we recognize those limits are by design and unless we receive those limits as gifts. And that's our third big truth, isn't it? Our limits are gifts to us. Again, let's look at Jesus. His acceptance of limits served him and his message. I mean, it's hard to argue with this strategic outcome. The entire planet knows about Jesus and has been impacted by him. And you're thinking, yeah, but Jesus didn't get to enjoy the outcome. And if you're thinking that, then you don't know Jesus yet. Jesus received the gift of limits. And let's restate that with a different emphasis. Jesus received the gift of of limits. Do you think our culture sees limitations as a gift ever? I don't. So it may be that this is where the work of receiving limits begins for us. It may be that we're, we're able to receive our limits when we recognize that they are a gift. Okay, I brought with me this morning a rubber band. And a rubber band is, is really good at some things but it's not good at other things. And the rubber band is limited in a couple of ways. Number one, the rubber band is limited in what it can do and what it can't do. I've got a nail. The rubber band is no good. It is completely ineffective at this process. This just would, in fact, take a very, very long time, and I, I don't know that it would ever get done. This, however, is a really good instrument for this. But if I want to keep these pieces of paper together, well, the rubber band does an excellent job at that. The rubber band is limited in what it can do and what it can't do. It is also limited in doing what it can do because if this rubber band gets stretched too far or too often and you've 
it will fray, and it will snap. The rubber band is limited, and if the band's limits are observed, the rubber band has a longer, healthier life. And the rubber band is also freer to be a rubber band if it sees itself clearly as a rubber band. <coughs> Parker Palmer wrote a, a widely used book a number of years ago that was, that was really about this topic that we're discussing this morning. He, he called it, Let Your Life Speak. And he tells a personal story about being asked to be the president of a college. Uh, he, he gathered some close personal friends of his to help him discern whether or not this was something that he should say yes to. And at first he was very excited. So when he was kind of with his friends, they, they began to talk about, you know, whether or not this is something he should do. And one of his friends eventually, halfway into the conversation, said, well, what would you like about being president of the college, Parker? And, and Dr. Palmer answered, well, I wouldn't like having to give up my writing and teaching. And I would not like the politics of the presidencies, never knowing who your real friends are. So the person repeated the question, but what would you like? And Dr. Palmer answered, I wouldn't like giving up my summer vacations. I would not like having to wear a suit and tie all the time. And then he paused. And he said, he said what he described as, I, I gave the only honest answer I possessed. He said, I guess what I'd like most is getting my picture in the paper with the word president under it. He withdrew his name from contention. He knew it would be a disaster for himself and for the college. We must receive the gift of limits if we're going to live effectively. All right, so let's wrap this up. How do we do that? How do we act with discernment while receiving our limits? How do we receive our limits as gifts? How do we do this? Honestly, this is one of the benefits of all those personality tests and skills and strengths inventories that you've probably done over the years. They help us identify what we're good at and what we're not good at. They, they should help us understand our, and accept our limits. That They should help us step more confidently into what we can do well and what we should avoid. Let me suggest this morning a framework for us to organize our thinking, and I'm going to borrow this morning from Pastor Rick Warren. He developed a framework for helping people find their place of service in the church. We're going to expand that this morning. We're going to add one item to it and use it as a helpful framework for us in, in accepting our own limits. So let's talk this morning about our shapes. Receiving our limits as a gift involves knowing our shapes. And by the way, this is an a acronym. It's a mnemonic device. So stay with me. Our shapes, number one. The S stands for spiritual gifts. God has worked in you in certain ways. He has blessed you in certain ways. He has given you certain spiritual capacities. He really has. It's very helpful to identify those and keep them in mind. It's helpful for you to know them and keep them in mind. Let me give you some examples. For example, some of you are very, very skilled in settings that require mercy. You're, you're good at thinking that way. You're, you're good at managing emotional situations. You're good at, at helping people when their life is a mess, when, when their life is falling apart, and you actually get energy from that kind of emotional struggle. You feel deeply compassionate working through it with them. It's messy and difficult. It's taxing, but it's also life-giving for you. 
by all means, become aware of this and use it. Others of you, you, you like to produce things when you help people. You're good at it. You just know what to do, it seems. It's a sacrifice to help someone fix their deck when it's falling apart, but it, it also it gives you energy. By all means, be aware of this and use it. Now, I want to let you all know, if I am over in the corner, huddled in a fetal position, because my life is completely falling apart, then if you are the kind of person that could really help me with my deck, then would you please come over and tell me, I'm so sorry, and then leave and find someone who can help me. Let's know our limits and receive them as gifts. Our spiritual gifts should be part of our discernment of where our limits are. Secondly, our heart. H, heart. What do you like to do? What are you drawn to? Now, we all have to do things we don't want to do at times, of course, but if you spend too much time doing things because you ought to do them or because someone else wants you to or because somehow someone has placed a demand on you, if that's the majority of how you spend your time, you will live with exhaustion and purposelessness as a constant companion. If you have a decision to make, don't be afraid to ask, what do I want to do? Third, abilities. We have certain abilities, and we lack other abilities. A rubber band is great at certain tasks. A hammer is great at others. A hammer is useless in holding pieces of paper together. Imagine if Parker Palmer had ended up taking the job as university president. He would have been unhappy, he wouldn't have written the bestseller, and the university would not have been served. I would love to be a world-class leader. I think Gateway would be served if I was a world-class leader. But I am not. And that means that we have to identify those areas in which my insufficiency has to be shored up. It also means that there may be limits on Gateway because of my limits. That's just the reality. I wish it was avoidable, but it is not. Our abilities are limited. Fourth, our personality, P. I said earlier that I would make a terrible accountant. Okay, pause. I'm going to brag a little bit. I was stinking good at math when I was in school. I was very good at it. The best accountants are good at math. But there are also people with high integrity. I want to be that. I admire that greatly. The best accountants are also well-positioned for the future. It's just the way they think, and I envy that. So far, I want to be an accountant. But the best accountants are detail-oriented, often very much so. Managing details is just above dental surgery on my to-do list. I hate it, honestly. I think I'm allergic to it, and I'm an extrovert to the extreme, so huddled over a ledger, moving through accounts to find the logical conclusion I'm, I'm really thankful that for some people, this is your bent and wiring and you're good at this. Your personality should give discernment to what, what we do and what our limits are. Next experiences, E. Your experiences will speak into your limits. Let me offer some examples. I'm going to go a little negative. We could also go positive. But if you've struggled with anxiety, you're going to have to build your schedule around ways of managing anxiety so that it doesn't get control of you. Look, some people can work a 70-hour work week. If you struggle with anxiety, you cannot. If you're single, 
and you come from an abusive background, you're going to have to be very careful about who you marry because that's part of your experience. In fact, you may not be a good barometer for your own future happiness. You may need others to give serious insight and to speak powerfully into your relationship decisions. You may not want to trust your own emotions because your judgment in that area is limited because of your experiences. Lastly, finally, the last S, seasons of life. Now, for those of you who don't know our staff, Alex is one of our pastors, and he's been great at reminding me a lot lately, especially this year, that he and I are in the stage of life, you know, if we need to work more, we just do it. Our marriages are healthy and well-established. Our health is good, and we don't have little kids at home who need our attention. We don't have soccer games to attend or birthday parties to suffer, I mean, uh, to enjoy. So if, if more is needed, we can just give it. But Alex has been a helpful reminder that I can't expect that of everyone. It, it's not only not fair, it's not good for them, and therefore not good for Gateway in the long run. Seasons of life impact our limits and how we think about them. Ultimately, most of us will move into a season of life in which our overall activity is dramatically altered. If you're 29, that's hard for you to imagine, but it is true. Some of you are there already. This is, as the author of Ecclesiastes reluctantly acknowledges, this is life under the sun. This is as God has established it. You can rail against it. You can try to defy it. All to your own detriment. All such efforts are futile. Or we can receive the gift of limits, enjoying what God has graciously distributed, and thereby we can live without frenzy and covetousness. We can live the life God intended, a life marked by contentment and joy. All right. Pete ends his discussion of this topic, I think, in exactly the right place. He talks about King David. And he makes note that at one point, uh, King David wants to build a temple for God. I mean, number one, and I think most importantly, he wants to honor God, and this is the way to do that. Number two, he wants to establish this place in their culture, uh, a central place of worship. It's a unifying, uh, uh, it has a unifying effect. And, and, and thirdly, it's kind of what the nations around them do. He doesn't want to leave God their God naked, so to speak. And God says to him, no, you're not to do that. In other words, God imposes a limit. Now, to manage those limits, David had to answer some questions. And Pete does a great job of pointing out the places in the Psalms where, where King David wrestles with these questions because of the limits that God has imposed on him. And the questions that David has to answer are, is God good? Is he sovereign? Can I trust him? Because if he's not good, or if he's not sovereign, then I've got to worry. I mean, how will the company grow? How will the kids be okay? How will I have enough money? If God is not good, if he can't be trusted. But if God is good, then I can rest in my limits and I can receive them as gifts. We have to answer the question of whether or not God is good. It may be the most important question that you and I have to deal with. 
And I want to encourage you to join me next week because next week we're going to talk about the goodness of God. Father, we are reminded today of our limits. We are reminded that we are like dew on the morning grass. It's gone by the time the sun's up an hour. And this is our life. But while we have it, we rejoice in what you've given us, what you're doing through us, what you're doing to us, how you're shaping us and how you're using us to shape the world around us. I pray today, Father, that uh, in the midst of recognizing your sovereignty, your greatness, and your goodness, that we would recognize our own shapes, that we would receive our limits as gifts from you. In the strong name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.